in the churches that I've been in and grew up in, there's this moment where the pastor may invite everyone to hug their neighbor. Everybody may not want to be hugged in that moment. Hugging could be triggering for some people in that moment. Or even if it's simply shaking someone's hand, just ask for permission. Is it okay if I give you a hug? Or is it okay if I shake your hand? Are all simple ways, I think, to be trauma-informed. In today's episode of Discovering Wholeness, We'll be discussing what healthy trauma-informed spiritual care actually looks like and how we can create that within our spiritual communities. Season one of Discovering Wholeness is sponsored by the Hayden Institute. Sharing the stories of our nightly dreams is an age-old practice for increasing self-awareness and discerning life purpose. The Hayden Institute offers a two-year certification course in DreamWork training, a valuable tool for spiritual directors, therapists, clergy, and others who wish to enhance their practice and deepen their work. Learn the tenets of Jungian psychology with the Hayden Institute's faculty and mentors. Translate the metaphor and symbol of dream language into a language that is helpful in your waking life. Learn more at haydeninstitute.com. Welcome to Discovering Wholeness, a podcast for any human practicing being, for healing trauma and unearthing self. I'm Kendra Frazier. I'm Jillian Drader. And I'm Kendall Rothis. We are your hosts, and we invite you to join us as we peel back the layers of trauma and discover our innate wholeness. Trauma has been a significant part of many of our journeys, whether those traumas are with a big T or with a little T. We gather each week to discuss trauma, spirituality, and staying grounded as we heal ourselves and walk alongside those who are healing. We're so glad you've joined us. You can participate in the larger conversation with us on Instagram and Facebook at Discovering Wholeness Podcast. We're so excited to talk with you because trauma is such an important topic. We recognize trauma is also a sensitive topic. And so we invite you into our centering moment and ask that you join us in a grounding exercise at the beginning, middle, and ending of each episode. Today, I would like to invite you into the present moment by taking in your surroundings, What is it that you see today, right where you are in your room? What are the sounds that you hear where you are? What is it that you're feeling right now? It could be the cotton shirt up against your skin or your hands clasped together. What is it that you're smelling right now? Maybe it's a fragrance that you're wearing or something that has just been cooked. What is it that you taste right now? Allow all your five senses 
to join you in the present moment as you take in your surroundings. I'm Jillian Drader, and I'll be facilitating today's conversation with my co-hosts, Kendra Frazier and Kendall Ray Rothus. Over the last two episodes, we've been discussing this idea of trauma-informed spiritual care. So what does that actually mean? What does it actually look like in practice? And how can we as spiritual leaders cultivate this in our lives and in our communities? Kendall and Kendra, as pastors, what would you say are some of the things that are barriers and challenges to creating trauma-informed spiritual care? Kendra, can we start with you? Sure, absolutely, Jillian. I think that's a great question. I'll start with the barriers first. I believe um, some of the barriers for trauma-informed care, particularly in churches, looks like a challenge around conflict resolution and not really knowing how to communicate, whether that is to um, parishioners or to um, your peers. Um, It can be challenging, particularly when you are in a um, atmosphere that you are taught that spirituality is connected to, or religiosity rather, is connected to um, you simply listening to the person in authority and um, not really allowing yourself to really voice the opinions that come up or um, your own challenges that may come up and internalizing that level of challenge with not being able to use your voice can really shut people down or either push them to the point where they're explosive. Um, So communicating that becomes challenging. And I don't think that most churches Mm -hmm. um, offer training just simply around communication and learning how to be in dialogue, particularly around around challenging conflict. Another barrier to creating a trauma-informed spiritual community, I believe, is... um, the lack of emotional safety at times um, that can come up um, theologically when you're talking about various scriptures that may be triggering for people. Maybe it's a story about um, incest or rape. Um, Maybe it's uh, a story uh, about um, war um, and that could bring up some stuff for people. So not um, setting expectations when you are tackling hard scriptures um, can get in the way of creating a trauma-informed atmosphere. Kendall, what about for you? What are some of the things when you think about what does healthy trauma-informed care look like? What gets in the way? What are some of the things you've seen in your role as a pastor? Yeah, I think it's kind of easier really to talk about what gets in the way because I I think that's um, sort of how we learn, right, is by the negative experiences we've had. And, you know, part of what I heard you saying, Kendra, that I, and I really agree with this is a huge barrier to trauma-informed care specifically in the church is this sort of culture of authoritarianism that, that happens in church settings, right? Whether that's the religious um, leader, the pastor who is kind of in charge and you can't question or whether, whether we place God in that, um, 
very sort of hierarchical role where we're not allowed to we're not allowed to to question um and so people's voices get silenced their feelings get silenced and so that just creates the atmosphere for for trauma to to occur i think um and i think a lot of it also is just a, a, a lack of understanding of trauma um, that exists in our culture, that lack of awareness. But I think particularly in the church, it's even mm, like kind of more prevalent because we have this tendency to spiritualize things away, right? Um, so instead of dealing with the actual psychological damage that has maybe been done to someone, we might, you know, recommend that they, they just pray more or, or we might think that someone's depression is a result of their lack of faith versus a symptom of their trauma. Um, so I think in, in church settings in particular, there's a lot of, um, uh, spiritual bypassing, um also magical mm-hmm. thinking you know if i just pray or if i um just trust in the lord then um my pain will go away and it's mm-hmm. simply not how it works um and then of course you know the problems that exist in culture are also very uh, prevalent in in uh church settings right so <laughs> the sexism the homophobia like all of that that um Mm -hmm. causes compounded trauma um it's it's right there in the church as well yeah i I hear you and i agree and i think one of the things that you've brought up and and both you and kendra have mentioned this in terms of just even the institution of the church and the structures that can be in place and within leadership sometimes there's conflicts of interest or there's you know confusion around uh who i can actually go to without it um being talked about in the the greater community and boundaries and we're gonna move into some of those pieces soon but do either of you have anything you'd like to add um, around the actual structures and leadership and the importance of being uh, mindful about that uh and not spiritual bypassing things like confidentiality yeah i think that it's a great question and i love that kendall talked about um spiritual bypassing um when i think of spiritual bypassing for some reason um the church leader comes to mind in terms of how we may deify um people in authority at times and and give over we talked about this last episode but our external locus of control our own sense of agency to be able to co-create our own healing experience with with god um but it makes me think about how the spiritual leader when i think of pastors particularly why the suicide rates um keep going up and i believe it's because there is this um this illusion that the spiritual leader doesn't need help on their own or can't seek it on their own because of how mental health vulnerabilities i think are not talked about enough in the church but i think the way that we can sometimes put on a pedestal our spiritual leaders um 
takes away their own opportunity to be intentional about their healing. And I believe when pastors are not intentional about their healing, then it can look like a catastrophe as they lead the community, um, where we talk about how boundaries are glossed over um, in spiritual communities when the, the spiritual leader isn't present enough to hold the things that are shared, even amongst church leadership, if they're talking to you, it doesn't mean that the rest of the leaders need to know. And it's important to ask for consent. I know that um, we're going to talk about this a bit more deeply, but it's important mm -hmm. to ask for consent to see if you do have permission to share with other people if there's a parishioner that's coming to you. And I think oftentimes um, I've seen it too much in my own experience where people's stories are out in the pews, which can be challenging for people and turn people away from the church. I've seen that too, Kendra, of people being really wounded because they've, they've gone to a, you know, a pastor or, or faith leader of some kind, disclosed some heart-wrenching story, and then that person turns around and shares it with the rest of the staff or, or other people, usually in the guise of like, concern and prayer requests, right? But if you don't have that person's consent to be telling their story, it's not yours to share. Um, and so, you know, I think sometimes in church settings, we're almost less aware of that because yeah, this whole prayer request becomes a blanket <laughs> um, where people feel that they can, they can share things that they really don't have the permission to tell. The other place that I see a big gap is with lay leadership and, and outside even the churches where it may be a, an organization or a ministry or that there's such very well-intentioned and well-meaning people that want to support the community and they want to be available, but there's just not an awareness or training and you know, church leaders often are overwhelmed and they need that extra support. And yet um, so often there's an even, uh, th there's even less of an accountability sometimes with people who've stepped up to maybe facilitate home groups or maybe it's a community in outside of the church even that um, has yes. been set up. And that to me, it sometimes also feels even more vulnerable for people because there isn't a structure even in place necessarily. Um, and so I think that as we continue this conversation, uh, I just really envision the importance of, of supporting those, those groups of people as well in their learning and growing so that there is some understanding. I totally agree with you in terms of lack of structure. One of the things that I'm thinking about, Jillian, is um, having this conversation with a sister mentor friend of mine who is an interfaith minister as well as an executive coach and talking about this idea of um, MDiv programs or seminaries partnering with business programs to give pastors and spiritual leaders some type of business acumen to know how to organize their church, even though it is a spiritual community, there's also a business aspect to it. And I think not knowing that business aspect of it um, can oftentimes bring up a lot of challenges for pastors and create space for trauma to take place Absolutely. because you, you aren't equipped to handle certain <laughs> challenges and issues that arise. How do we then actually create this space? We've talked a lot about the barriers, the ways that we know people are 
are wounded, are re-traumatized, all the challenges. And, and so I want to just invite us now into a conversation around how do we provide this spiritual, safe spiritual space? How, how do we do that? Kendall, can we start with you? Yeah. And, you know, I think part of me too is wanting to acknowledge um, before we even kind of discuss that, that this is a daunting, can be a daunting <laughs> subject. You know, I know, I think all three of us, when we were discussing this earlier, before we were recording, we're saying that, you know, all of us have experienced such negative experiences um, in church settings that, that we don't necessarily trust the institutions to do better, you know, that we have this, mm -hmm. um, this conflict. And so um, I guess I, I, I'm wanting to sort of just acknowledge here that, um, that this is really, really important work. And, um, and some people might be in religious settings where, they don't have leadership that's willing to do this kind of work and it's not safe to stay in the environment that they're in. Right. Um, so mm -hmm. I think when we talk about how do we create spiritual safety, we're talking about it in the context of when you have the agency and the ability to affect and create that safety, but some yeah. people don't have the power in their context to do that. And so they're just simply not, um, not in a safe space. So I think I'm just wanting to name that, you know, sometimes you just, it just isn't a safe space. Yeah. But then, okay. So, but then when we are in spaces where, you know, we're in, in leadership or we have influence or we can help create a kind of space that is safe, then what would that look like? Mm -hmm. um, and I'm, I'm really glad you emphasized again, consent and confidentiality. I mean, those rise up. Absolutely to the top for me, um, mm -hmm. that, um, you know, we talked about this, I think a little bit in the last episode about, um, you know, when you have that mindset, that's been very authoritarian about religion, about God, then re-empowering people with choice is so, so, so key. <laughs> and so one of the ways you do that, right, is you give people the choice of whether they want the story they've told you told to anybody else. I mean, that should be a given anyways, but it's just extra important when you're doing the work of, of empowerment mm -hmm. and healing that um, the person mm -hmm. to whom, the, or I mean, the person who is disclosing their um their story to you, it is always, always, always their choice um, if their story goes any further than you. I, I just was going to say, I think one of the really practical ways to do that is to actually be really explicit at the beginning of any conversation, you know, just reinforcing maybe every single time for a while, as you're saying, people aren't necessarily feeling empowered that what we're going to talk about here is confidential. It's not going anywhere else unless you choose to have me do that or if it's helpful for you to do that. But being really explicit with that language, I think, is very important, that there's no misunderstanding, there's no confusion, and that you're really laying it out when you first sit down with someone. Yeah, I totally agree with both you and um, Kendall Jillian in terms of um, confidentiality and consent being at the forefront. And I'm thinking of examples like there in the churches that I've been in and grew up in, there's this moment where the pastor may invite everyone to hug their neighbor. 
everybody may not want to be hugged in that moment. Hugging could be triggering for some people in that moment. Or even if it's simply shaking someone's hand, just ask for permission. Is it okay if I give you a hug or is it okay if I shake your hand? Are all simple ways, Mm -hmm. I think, to be trauma-informed. And I also believe that creating, like you said, being explicit about emotional safety and confidentiality is so important. And I think the authoritarianism that shows up in religion is really about wanting to control and giving people choices um, on which to navigate is really empowering, like you both have have said, um, that there's not just one way to do a thing, that there are many different ways to engage in their spiritual life and to take respite for themselves. And I'm so glad, Kendall, that you um, invited us to acknowledge um, the challenge of this experience, particularly when churches are toxic and to let people know that it is okay to leave. It is okay to take a break from church completely just to endeavor in your own healing in your own way. Yeah, and I wanted to, can I add real quick, Kendra, when you were talking about giving people choice and especially when you're on this sort of maybe the the leadership end, right? You're, you're a pastor or a spiritual director or sometimes I think it's not even enough to say, can I give you a hug or may I pray for you? Because the other there's already this power difference there where um, the person is going to feel obligated to say yes because they see you as somebody important. And so I think you can, you can, you know, I do this with my girls at home, you know, it's like, um, do you want to give a hug or a high five, you know, and, and if you can kind of translate that to an adult experience, you know, giving people options of, you know, would you like to close today by I could offer a prayer, or we could sit in silence for a moment, or, you know, giving people some choice where it's not just a yes or no, but they get to kind of like choose their own adventure with you. Um, can be one way to to also be um, not just trauma informed, but also informed of the power dynamics at play in your question. This is beyond trauma informed. This is just basic human respect for boundaries. Um, you know, in terms of those kinds of acknowledgments, yes, it's very important for trauma informed care, but it also, I think, is important in general that we be that mm-hmm. respectful. And one of the other things that came to my mind as I was hearing you both sharing is, is kind of the classic scenario of, you know, prayer circle or somebody going forward, for example, for prayer, and then it's instantly potentially surrounding the person laying on of hands with, with just an assumption that this is kind of what we do. And yet I've been in, in situations like that where I was terrified. I mean, it's like, yes, I, I was looking forward to having some spiritual care but then I'm like surrounded by these strangers and oftentimes you know opposite gender and and that's a trigger for me and um and so no acknowledgement that I'm actually not comfortable and then I'm frozen um and and I've seen that happen in a lot of settings so just even those again well-intentioned nobody's maliciously trying to hurt anybody but if we're not mindful of those things, we can really be shutting people down. And what might look like this opportunity to pray for someone or minister to someone, whatever the language might be, becomes another traumatic experience. And I'm also thinking about, as we talk about trauma-informed care, the 
importance of inviting lay leaders to practice um, a holistic way of caring for themselves that looks like how to support themselves when they are in an experience with a parishioner or with anyone they may be serving where their nervous system is activated. Maybe they get anxiety or maybe they're experiencing secondary traumatic stress because of what's being shared. Just finding anchor points to feel your body and ground yourself in your body so you can stay present for someone else. I mean, maybe that looks like a breathing exercise that you do or having a word or a phrase that comes to mind to support you in slowing down and catching your breath and being fully present um, are also ways to be trauma-informed. We want to invite you again into the present moment by taking in your surroundings. What is it that you see? Maybe your eyes are landing on something new in your environment. Maybe there are new sounds for you to be attentive to in this moment. What are you hearing? What is it that you feel Maybe you feel your heartbeat or you feel the presence of community. What is it that you smell in this moment? Maybe you have the windows up and there's something that smells good outside. And then what is it that you taste? Maybe you've been eating on something really good throughout this podcast. Allow your five senses to join you in the present moment as you take in the surroundings where you are. Swallowtail Trauma Integration Society is a not-for-profit organization offering treatment and therapies to persons impacted by trauma. Swallowtail provides these services and overcomes barriers like poverty, race, or gender identity that have often hindered access to treatment. The person-centered approach empowers individuals for transformation and community connection. Find help online. Search Swallowtail Trauma. This whole idea of truth and transparency and leadership and the importance of acknowledging our own where the, the areas that we need to do our work, um, but also being willing to authentically acknowledge the times that maybe we've screwed up with someone or we've not honored their boundaries and we are seeing that we've done harm in some way um, and just being willing to own that, acknowledge that, have grace around that. It reminds me how important the establishment of trust is, um, just in general, but also particularly for traumatized people. And, um, you know, you talked about being able to own when you've messed up. And I think that is huge because, like, we're all human. We're all going to, we're all going to make mistakes. We're all going to do something well-intentioned that 
ends up having a negative impact. There's no way for us to read everyone's mind and, you know, avoid ever triggering anyone. I think what builds trust is how we respond when those incidents happen, right? Like if you're able to, to own the moment, if you're able to acknowledge someone's pain or um, respond compassionately and graciously when someone's triggered, then that lets them know you're safe. So it's not the complete ability to avoid ever making any mistake. It's how you respond once, once, you know, you, a misstep has happened that lets people know whether you're, whether you're safe or not, I think. I love that, Kendall. And what you are saying about it is in how you respond. What's coming to mind is this, um, the, the scripture that talks about dying to the self. Um, and really for me in this moment, I'm thinking about what it means for spiritual leaders and anybody that's serving in a spiritual community, particularly a church, to die to the ego, die to your pride, to die to having it right all the time is nothing worse than being gaslighted by a spiritual leader who sows seeds of doubt mm -hmm. um, because of the truth that you offer that they're uncomfortable with that's actually happening in reality, but they don't want to confront it or face it. Um, so that's why I think truth and transparency are so important to be able to name your weaknesses and areas of opportunity to be intentional about sifting out conflicts of interest. Um, they, it creates a problem when you have an executive pastor who might be married to the senior pastor and functions as the human resource person. Um, who do you go to? Um, in moments of challenge where you can trust that it will be held confidential and not spill mm -hmm. out into the dinner table. Um, so truth and transparency is absolutely paramount mm -hmm. to create a trauma-informed community. One of the other things that just uh, is a really practical piece that I know we had talked about and we wanted to offer here are, are very um, clear things around even inquiring when you first meet somebody, um, asking them, what are your pronouns? Um, how do you identify like just beginning the conversation by acknowledging that that that's something you'd like to know about a person um, and you know the other big piece that we talked about was self-disclosure and the need for appropriate self-disclosure and boundaries around that as well that there there are moments where it might be helpful for us to maybe acknowledge yeah I understand I've been there too or you know I understand what that feels like um, without though going into our own long personal story that may then flip the whole table around and now the person who's come to seek support is feeling like they need to offer it um, and it becomes more triggering. When I think of appropriate self-disclosure I think you know there are a few questions I'm asking myself so um, am I, am I disclosing this about myself for right. my benefit or for the other person's benefit? You know, um, am I making, have I turned the conversation into a, into a conversation about me or am I simply offering um, a little piece of myself so that, so that this person knows, you know, I'm not, I'm not completely perfect with no problems. I'm just, you know, I'm letting them know that I'm human. Um, so just kind of having a little checklist in my head that helps me know when to tell a story and how much of a story to tell. But then when, when, when you do offer some self-disclosure in an appropriate way, I think mm -hmm. a lot of times it just helps the walls come okay. down, you know, for people to say, oh, 
Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> like I'm not alone. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not the only one. It, it can right. be really, it can be really powerful when done um, sensitively, I think. Yeah, I think it also brings down some of the um, the hierarchical sensitivity in yes. terms of the person feeling, oh, this isn't somebody who's got it all together or, you know, floating around in their office because they're so spiritual. Um, they actually are human and have been through hard things too. And so maybe mm. I can actually relate. So as we come close to already, it always goes so fast, comes close to the end of, of our episode today. Um, I wanted to invite you both into just offering some really, again, some practical, actual things that people can do um, to create these safe communities. Um, what are some of the things that leadership might put into place? Um, what are some things that somebody might do if they have somebody that is being triggered? I think one of the first things that comes to mind for me, particularly if there is a, a need to have to address a crisis in the church, that at least two, two people go to go in pairs, um, not to feel like you have to do the work alone. Um, and also if there's someone who is pre- presenting and if there is someone who is presenting in a highly emotive way, talking in a calm tone as a opposed to your voice being raised so as to not exacerbate the situation. And like you said earlier, giving three to five feet of space so people can feel like um, they aren't being infringed upon are all important, as well as being explicit, like you said earlier, Jillian, uh, about um, choices and options are all the things that are coming up presently. That made me think of... um just the ways that we signal whether a space is safe or not. So, you know, um, Jillian, earlier you mentioned, you know, asking people's pronouns or, you know, introducing yourself with your pronouns. So that that demonstrates right from the get-go that you are aware um, and comfortable with various gender expressions, right? Um, and other signals of safety, I think, are... Um, you know, we talked about sometimes when you go to church, there might be a welcome or something that just the, the sort of implied assumption as people are welcoming is that we're all happy to be here and praise the Lord, you know? Um, and so the language we use, making sure that we're acknowledging, like some of you are coming into this room happy. Some of you are bringing in grief. Some of you are bringing in um, difficulties. And, and, and then maybe also creating space that, you know, we're so glad you're here. If you need to get up and, and walk around, if you need to leave the room, just giving people that permission, even in big group settings, naming that up front, that people are going to have different feelings when they enter the room and they're going to have different needs that arise and that they're not all going to be the same. So somebody may need to get up and walk around and, and, and the culture is one where we don't judge that or question that. We just... We just let people be. Mm-hmm. You're making me think of one of the things that we talked about earlier before the recording was this move away from toxic positivity, um, which is so important yes. to not um, make room or to make room for mm. all emotions because we all enter into this evolutionary experience and our day-to-day living with 
different circumstances and occurrences that you never know how someone is going to be feeling with when they enter into the doors of the church. But you want to make sure that you're meeting everyone right where they are so they won't feel like they have to be a particular place where they're not and they can be um, just as they are. I love that, Kendra. That's so important. And, you know, I, I think the other um, piece that I wanted to to add to this was just that whole idea of ensuring that we're giving people space to move around if they need to, leave if they need to, just being really um, overt with that and making it explicit that we as spiritual leaders are totally okay with whatever people feel comfortable with, that whatever is best for them is okay with us and not expecting the person who maybe has experienced victimization or been traumatized to be the one to have to resolve it. Like as leaders, you know, that's, that's on us. And um, when it's brought to our awareness that we be the ones to, to make the move towards healing, um, not wait. And I just want to say really quick before we wrap up, Jillian, that, you know, as you were talking about that, it reminds me too, that I mean, yes, there's this responsibility on spiritual leaders, and I want to acknowledge that spiritual leaders themselves can be traumatized by their church settings, you know? Yeah, that's Um, Kendall, thank you. And so it can happen, it can happen in in both directions. Absolutely. Yeah, and that's a hard one, because where do the leaders go when they're the ones being? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So as we come to a close of our time today, um, It's been a rich, beautiful conversation as always with both of you. Um, And again, we just acknowledge that these are hard topics and we're we're also acknowledging that we're all doing the best we can. And so we we never wanna minimize what is happening out there, but we wanna just be increasing awareness and strengthening leadership and um, care for people. Is there any final thoughts that either of you would like to, to add before we close our time today? I think the, the statement that's coming to mind for me, Jillian, um, for those that may be listening, is that it is okay to not be okay with the church community that you currently are in. It is okay if you're not okay to leave. It is also okay if you're not okay to say something about it mm-hmm. to someone that you trust and to get support around it or spiritual direction around it. As we close today and as you head back into the rest of your life, we invite you to take a pause, to take a breath, place your hand over your heart and repeat after me, I am whole. Well, thanks again to all of you who have been listening with us today. Thanks for joining us. We value you and we want to invite you to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Discovering Wholeness Podcast. I'm Kendra Frazier. I'm Jillian Drader. And I'm Kendall Raffis. We are Discovering Wholeness, Healing Trauma, Unearthing Self. Join us in conversation at Discovering Wholeness Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. Discovering Wholeness is produced in partnership with Good Faith Media. Learn more at goodfaithmedia.org. If you are in crisis and need help in the United States, please call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-TALK. 
That's 1-800-273-8255. In Canada, call the Centre for Suicide Prevention at 1-833-456-4566. That's 1-833-456-4566. You can also use the crisis text line from either country by texting the word HOME to 741-741. That's HOME, H-O-M-E, to 741-741 to access a crisis counselor 24 hours a day, seven days a week. 